Gerard Manley Hopkins was a Jesuit priest and English poet born July 28, 1844. Today, he's considered to be one of the greatest poets of the Victorian era, although during his lifetime, his poetry was never published. It wasn't until 30 years after his death when his friend and fellow poet Robert Bridges edited and published a collection of Hopkins' writings. Hopkins was an individualist, not given to conforming to the accepted norms of the culture around him. He grew up in a wealthy Protestant family who supported his artistic nature, though ultimately he chose to depart from their tradition and converted to Roman Catholicism and went on to become a Jesuit. This individualist temperament shows up in Hopkins' writings as well. As a poet, Hopkins held a resistance to the structures he inherited from his time. The English poetic tradition was then marked by fixed metrical patterns such as iambic pentameter and what was called running rhythm. This structure of poetry held very symmetrical patterns of stressed and unstressed syllables. But Hopkins broke away from this convention and developed what he called sprung rhythm, which placed the emphasis of his words in more of an irregular and unexpected form. This choice toward originality may have cost him publication during his lifetime, but it also gave to us one of the most compelling poetic voices in history. The rhythmical innovation of his poetry inspired later poets such as Dylan Thomas, one of my personal favorites, and others such as Charles Wright and W.H. Auden. Hopkins felt that the art of poetry was not to be confined to the words on the page, but included the experience of hearing the words read as they were meant to be heard. He placed a great importance on the rhythm of his words and highlighted his original texts with markings to guide the reader in their experience. He believed the sound of poetry was essential to bringing out an experience of a poem's true nature. Hopkins' approach to poetry was deeply enmeshed with his intimate and mystical spirituality. For Hopkins, who was an avid lover of nature, poetry was a means of accessing the divine and of discovering God within nature. He held a sacramental view of nature and saw it as a physical symbol of God's own beauty. He believed in a creative experience that occurred when one contemplated the inner quality of a thing in order to reveal God's presence within nature. His poetry, his letters, and private journals often describe detailed accounts of a specific tree or mountain or passing cloud. Through contemplating nature and recounting the experience in poetic verse, Hopkins unlocked an experience of God's presence that lifted his spirit into a supernatural encounter. In order to explain this experience to others, Hopkins coined two words, inscape and instress. Inscape was the idea that every particular form within nature, a snowflake or river or a tree, held a unique quality that separated it from every other snowflake, river or tree. The idea of inscape is based on the theological premise that God never repeats himself in creation. So to contemplate the particular features of a certain natural structure opened up its own individual encounter with God. Hopkins believed it was the call of the artist to contemplate and determine what made each sunset or pattern within a fallen leaf unique from any other. His related term, instress, was meant to convey the experience a reader had of Inscape when engaging poetic works. 
The call of the poet, he believed, was to find images that would unlock this experience of Enscape through reading and hearing poetry as it was meant to be. The poet's job, then, was to find images that would open up the readers to share in the poet's perception and divine encounter. But despite the depth of spiritual rootedness in Hopkins' mystical verse, he eventually came to believe his writing was a stumbling block to his vocation as a Jesuit priest, and he determined he would write no more unless it were the wish of his spiritual directors. And so in 1867, when he entered the priesthood, he burned all of his writings and laid down his pen for the next nine years of his life. Hopkins saw his poetry as being driven by his ego and struggled to reconcile his desire for an audience with his desire to live a life of humility. If you've been keeping up with these artist profiles, you may recognize a pattern here. This heartbreaking account doesn't sound all that different from our profiles on Lilius Trotter or Oswald Chambers, who also struggled to reconcile their calling as an artist with their desire to follow the Spirit. And it is this very struggle that I'm compelled to address for our generation so that we might distinguish between dead religion and a living spirituality. Art and faith were never meant to live in conflict, but to function as complementary aims toward the same end. Creativity always leads to spirituality, and healthy spirituality will always be creative. Fortunately, one of Hopkins' superiors in the Jesuit order encouraged him to write a poem about a shipwreck that had moved him in a profound way. Perhaps this is what the poet needed to get his pen moving again. Though he committed not to seek publication, Hopkins quietly continued to write in the midst of his religious work. For the next seven years of his life, Gerard Manley Hopkins carried out his duties as a priest, preaching and teaching throughout England and the UK. In 1884, he became a professor of Greek at the Royal University College in Dublin, Ireland. And during this time, he became increasingly depressed and lacked creative inspiration. He disliked living in Dublin and was weary from his heavy workload. He developed several health issues and said he felt confined in a coffin of weakness and dejection. The struggle between his poetic nature and his devotion to the priesthood continued to rage within him. Gerard couldn't escape the pen, and though he kept to his vow not to seek publication, he said his poems often came to him even against his own will. His time in Dublin proved to be the final years of his short life, as Hopkins died of typhoid at the age of 45. The poems which emerged from this dark period before his death revealed a belief to have lost God's favor. He had fallen into a deep despair and held a sense of personal worthlessness. In the final two years of his life, Hopkins wrote only five poems. Several of them contain a brooding sense of despair, though others reveal a renewed hope for union with God and an unexpected tone of triumph. I'll leave you with a reading of two of Hopkins' poems, though I doubt I'll be able to capture his intended inflections. This first one is one of his more well-known poems. It is where we took the title for our Bright Wings Poetry Contest. It is titled God's Grandeur. God's Grandeur The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil, crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? 
Generations have trod, have trod, have trod. And all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil. And where's man's smudge and shares man's smell, the soil, is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, O oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods, and with warm breast, and with, ah, bright wings. This last poem is one of the last known poems he wrote, which was written for his friend Robert Bridges. It is titled, To R.B. To R.B. The fine delight that fathers thought, the strong spur, live and lancing like the blowpipe flame, breathes once and quenched faster than it came, leaves yet the mind a mother of immortal song. Nine months she then, nay years, nine years she long within her wares, bears, cares, and combs the same. The widow of an insight she lost lives with aim now known and hand at work now never wrong. Sweet fire, the sire of muse, my soul needs this. I want the one rapture of an inspiration. Oh, then, if in my lagging lines you miss the roll, the rise, the carol, the creation, my winter world that scarcely breathes that bliss now yields you, with some size, our explanation. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This has been episode 20 of the Artist Profile series. I mentioned earlier our Bright Wings Poetry Contest, and if you're listening to this before July 31st, 2019, there's still time for you to enter your poems in this contest. The grand prize is $500 plus a scholarship to the 2020 The Breath and the Clay Creative Arts Gathering, and you get to appear on the Makers and Mystics podcast and read your poem live to our audience. You can find out details about this contest at makersandmystics.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with a full interview episode.